When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on this episode, we're going to be joined by a special guest as Alex Fast uh, is joining us to discuss some fantasy baseball. Uh, in particular, we're going to take a look at some of the value you could get from Orioles prospects this year, as well as some of the veteran players that have been on the club for a few years. And we're also going to discuss some of the big news of the week, including the Michael Franco signing, Hunter Harvey's latest injury, and the return of Gray Fenter. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So as I mentioned in our intro, there was a little bit of news since our last show. The Orioles signing veteran third baseman Michael Franco to a contract. Um, and placing Hunter Harvey on the 60-day disabled list uh, with a left quad injury. So he will be out uh, for a little while at least. And then Gray Fenter, uh, who had been chosen by the Chicago Cubs in the Rule 5 draft, has returned uh, to the Orioles after briefly pitching with the Cubs this spring. Um, I'm going to start with Nick on the subject of Fenter real quick. Um, are you surprised that he's back? Not really. No, I mean, it's, we kind of, we talked about this before on, on another show that, you know, looking at the Cubs roster, uh, it, it seemed like a pretty deeper bullpen. Uh, and just the fact that Gray Fender is an older guy is what 24, 25. Now he had the time of John surgery a couple of years ago, uh, hasn't pitched above a ball. Uh, it's really hard for a guy like that to, to make a major league roster. Even if there are having to be expanded rosters at some point this year, uh, before baseball starts, we know MLB likes to change the rules whenever they want to at this point. Uh, so I, I didn't think there was any chance he was going to stick with the Cubs. So it's nice to have him back in the system, see what he can do. Yeah. I'm surprised that he was returned maybe so fast, but I'm not surprised that he was here before opening day started. I mean, like Nick, Nick said it best, but I'm interested to see what he does. I'm sure he'll start maybe at Aberdeen and then, push into Bowie maybe halfway through the year. So it's nice to have him back. Expected it, but it's still nice. So Alex, um, who's joining us today, um, you have any thoughts on Fenter coming back? No, I mean, to me, it kind of makes sense that that he would be returned. I wonder if, if the, the, the front office sort of knew with his lack of experience that it would be difficult for him to make that jump, hence why he wasn't a protected guy. Uh, so, you know, it'll be nice to have that back in the system. It never hurts to have a guy with his skill set, with that kind of backspinning fastball and that kind of nice 12-6 breaker. Uh, it gives you some good potential there for sure. Um, so, yeah, you know, I don't think it really moves the needle in, in any way right now for them. But overall, it's a, it's a good piece of news and nice to have him back. Yeah, we'll certainly see where he ends up. There's been some discussion for a few years now about whether or not he's a starter or a reliever. Uh, perhaps the Orioles maybe move in one direction or the other in 2021. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, stop me if you've heard this before. We've got some exciting young arms. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with him as he continues to develop. But, you know, I, I, I'm being facetious, but of course, it's always nice to have this new front office and to see the direction that they want to work with him. Uh, so, yeah, excited to, to to keep track of them in the years moving forward. Let's hope we can get Zach Pop next. I mean, mm. fingers crossed. Yeah. So um, Alex is the is a associate producer at MLB and the VP of Pitcher List. Uh, we're having him on today to mainly discuss fantasy baseball, and that does touch on this topic a little bit, which is the Michael Franco signing 
Um, he will be coming in now to play third base, presumably a competition with Rio Ruiz. And just to correct myself uh, from earlier, Hunter Harvey actually is down with an oblique injury, not a quad injury, as I stated. But nonetheless, still hitting the 60-day DL. Um, so, Alex, we'll start with this question, which is, what are your thoughts on the Franco news? And uh, how do you see him fitting into this team? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it definitely it seems like something a, a lot of people saw coming, right? Which it is sort of a good fit. This is a guy who has a really good amount of power and always had, right? He had a good amount of power when he was with the Phillies and he was kind of the person where it was like, you know, has spring training really begun if Michael Franco hasn't hit six home runs and we all start getting a little bit too exciting uh, excited about him. Then he goes to the Royals and it's kind of the same thing. Um I I will say this, pitching is always something that's going to be at the forefront of my mind and while Rio Ruiz was not a fantastic defender in 2019. He showed defensive improvements in 2020. Of course, a little bit more of a liability with the bat. Michael Franco has never really been one to show defensive improvements. And you could say that it's depending on the metric that you're looking at. If you're looking at fan graphs, you could say, okay, maybe Michael Franco is an above average defender. If you're a little bit more into stat cast and the outs above average metric, he's really never been a very good third baseman defensively. Uh, and he kind of continued that in 2020. And that worries me a little bit more for John Means and what that could mean for, you know, trying to induce ground balls with that changeup. And really, it just kind of worries me a lot for a young staff, right? Especially with those um, relievers. I mean, I believe they were top five in terms of ground ball rate last year. So that has me a little bit concerned. Uh, I, I don't mind prioritizing defense to help these pitchers come along. But is Michael Franco someone who could knock out 20 home runs in Camden Yards? Yeah, I think he theoretically could do that. I'll be curious to see what the playing time looks like for him moving forward. Yeah, I'm curious. Obviously, it seemed like that first game yesterday, Rio Ruiz kind of went off in the spring training game. Uh, he heard the news, so he's he knows he has competition now, which I think that's, for me, that's the biggest reason that I like the signing. It's just more competition for Ruiz. We all like Rylan Bannon, but I don't think Rylan Bannon is going to be pushing for that starting job this year, uh, at least maybe later in the year, but not right now. He's probably ticketed for for Norfolk, maybe the alternate site. We'll see how the Orioles try to handle that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to make that exact point that, that you mentioned, the defense. I think that is the one thing that does scare me because I like having Yolmer Sanchez and Freddie Galvis at, at second base and shortstop right now. Hmm. You know, we know Yolmer Sanchez may hit 175, 180. We don't know. And if he does, if he's providing reliable defense and we don't have to watch Pat Vileka play shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles, um, then I'm fine with that double play combo. But yeah, the Franco signing, I like it for the competition aspect, but I am worried about that defense. How much is he going to hurt this team defensively? And But we'll see. It's another camp body. We'll, we'll see what happens with him, though. Yeah, there was a lot of debate on uh, Orioles Twitter this week about this signing, which a little more than I actually thought there would be. I mean, to me, I was like, it's probably going to be relatively cheap and it might not even be guaranteed. Turns out it's an MLB deal, but he's able to start in the, at least the alternate site for the first few weeks since it's uh, he got a late start, get his feet wet, get warmed up. But $800,000, it's basically a minor league signing. They can treat it like that. And it's basically... Uh, another version of Hanato Nunez from last year, but maybe slightly better defense and a little bit less power. I mean, same, similar player for cheaper. And I don't, like Elias said, it doesn't necessarily spell the end of Ruiz's time here. Mm. I almost sounded like Scott Garceau with my pronunciation there for a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't think they can both coexist long-term, but it, it could be interesting, and if Chris Davis starts off on the injured list, then it buys them a little bit more time to figure out what they want to do exactly. So, Bob, that's actually an interesting point, and something that I've been wondering, which is because Franco is going to be getting a late start, do you think that Ruiz maybe will have an extra week or two into the regular season to hold down the third base job and show what he can do? Yeah, I think he will. I mean, I don't think that is enough sample to really definitively put his mark on it, but... You know, if he starts out hot, maybe they just want to keep riding that hot hand. At least show that his great defense that he showed in the beginning of last year, maybe he can bring that back. He kind of slacked off on that towards the second half. And his BABIP it was always low the past couple of years. So maybe if the luck turns his way, maybe he can kind of latch onto that. And I almost said Nunez. Uh, Franco can be more of a DH first base kind of option or a bench guy. But he's going to have to get off to a hot start, I think. Yeah, there's actually a piece on Fangraphs. I don't know if you guys read this about uh, the Orioles signing Franco, but in the one part 
that I, I kind of liked was that they said, you know, Franco has that name recognition across the league. And so if he does get hot, maybe this is somebody that Elias can move in, in a couple of months at the trade deadline. And maybe you get a, a couple, you know, a, maybe like a Rockies type deal with the Miguel Castro last year or a, a Sorry, Michael Givens deal last year, Miguel Castro to the Mets. But you get another one of those types of deals. And again, it's just it's not a huge improvement. It doesn't move the needle, but maybe it raises the floor of the farm system down the road just a little bit more. So That's actually a, a really good point, too, because theoretically, I don't think a Rio Ruiz or a Pat Valaika or whomever he would be taking at bats away from is necessarily an integral part of the Orioles plans for the next two or three years. So while us as Orioles fans are looking at this really practically and more so in the now thinking like, oh, well, there was actually some promise there front office obviously thinking a little bit more down the, on the line so that's a, that's a really really great point now the other part of the, the transactions for this week is hunter harvey the good news is that it's not an arm injury but it is still yet another setback for him alex are you at this point concerned that harvey's just lacking a better term done yeah. I mean, it's just so sad. You know, I mean, like he's a guy that I think we've all been looking forward to for many, many years. And then, you know, we, the first surgery happens and then we're waiting and we're waiting and we just want to see it happen. And then, you know, we see the promise of the velocity that it's still there. I think um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's done. He's still young. Uh, so I'm not going to say that he's done. And this is an injury that he can come back from. But I think um, what we need to keep in mind, especially for fantasy players who are interested and, in, you know, we're always trying to hunt the waiver wire for saves even in the games that I was listening to where Hunter Harvey appeared most recently, the command is still an issue for him. You know what I mean? Uh, and while the velocity is incredibly exciting, it's not like he has a secondary pitch that he can overly rely on for strikes. And the fastball isn't quite there command wise as well. So I didn't think he was even going to break camp really as the closer, although I would be surprised if Hyde even named one. So I think, you know, what, what really stinks about it. And I, and I genuinely wish him the best because he's a fun guy to watch pitch is when he comes back and he is healthy it's not like he can immediately hit the ground running. It still seems like there are things that he needs to work on. So, yeah, I, I wish him the best. I don't think he's done, and hopefully we can see him perform around the All-Star break. To me, he's done as a future closer, cemented, you know, put it in ink. Like, he kind of looked like we might have had hope for when he first came up in 2019. But I think, you know, whatever he can give you at this point is just kind of icing on the cake. I don't think you can really plan on him him being an integral part of the bullpen going forward. You know, if he can manage to finally get healthy, stay healthy, get that high 90s and splitter going, that combo going, then, hey, all the better. That's great. But I, I just don't think you can bank on it anymore. Yeah, I'm always just amazed. Look, every time I look up Hunter Harvey for anything, I mean, the Orioles drafted him in 2013. So, I mean, I was a year out of college at that point. And mm. now I'm like married with a kid and changed <laughs> jobs and just all this stuff. And Hunter Harvey is still, I mean, Fangraph still has him on that prospect list. I mean, that's something I think we've debated. Is he still a prospect or not? What Has he met that eligibility or not? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but He's borderline there. But, I mean, this is a guy who's still, though, for all those years, he was on the top 30 Orioles prospect list pretty much everywhere you look because of the potential. And and it is sad. I think that's the best way to put it. I wish him all the best as well. I hope he's not done, but it's just injury after injury after injury. and you got to feel for him. Hmm. And Nolan Ryan old of pitchers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's actually a pretty spot-on analogy, unfortunately. Uh, before we really get into the fantasy baseball um, talk, I do want to – put this out there, which is that we all know the development we've seen with the Orioles bullpen over the past year and the fact that there could be more depth coming up from the minor leagues this year with guys like Isaac Matson. Do you think that makes it harder for Harvey to find a set role in the bullpen when he does come back? Or do you still think that there might be some high leverage innings for him uh, once he's off the injured list for a little while? Um, I mean, the clock's rolling for him. Right. And I think they're going to want to really take care of those young arms and they're really going to want to make them a part of their future. So I think as soon as he is fit, they will try and find a plan for him. You know, he'll be a he'll be a guy that comes in in the sixth inning in a blowout for the first couple of weeks. Uh, and there will be a few of those. Uh, so he'll get plenty of work. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would still think he would leapfrog some of those guys, if not just for service time stuff. So now we're going to get into the fantasy baseball uh, portion of this. So it's really what we have Alex on for tonight. And 
as mentioned, we are going to get into prospects, but we're going to start off with some players that are a little bit more established, and we're going to stick with the bullpen, as I know Bob has a question here for Alex. Yeah, I know the Orioles are stacked with fantasy, you know, relevant players, but I want to start out in the bullpen, where they actually might be kind of relevant. They had some success there last year, but who do you project to be the most valuable pitcher out of the bullpen for the Orioles this year? Is it a Tanner Scott who really came out, you know, kind of showed it what we thought he could be last year, finally, after a lot of disappointing seasons? Or maybe Cesar Valdez, an older guy who just throws a dead fish up there and seems to strike everybody out? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I, I kind of love teams like the Orioles when it comes to fantasy value in terms of relievers, because what I don't think people realize is that teams that are poorer, still get a fair amount of saves like every every once in a while you'll see the Detroit Tigers being the top 10 in saves you'll see the Kansas City Royals being the top 10 in saves because while they don't necessarily have as many opportunities as the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Rays they have one guy that they're going to go to and that's going to be the guy who's going to get the bulk of those now Brandon Hyde seems like he has moved away from that capital C closer a little bit more. But the one person that I was projecting, even when Hunter Harvey was healthy, is Tanner Scott. Um, I think when it comes, you know, I, I do like Cesar Valdez. I don't think he necessarily has the velocity for them to consider him an, a, an actual closer. I think that change up the dead fish, as you brought up, is absolutely fantastic and it's a lot of fun to watch. But I imagine him more as the fireman leverage role coming into the seventh or the eighth. Tanner Scott, I just think is really exciting, not only because we've seen, you know, a tick up in velocity actually in spring training. I think he's actually sitting at like 98 right now, which is awesome to see. He's got a really unique fastball slider combination. People look at his baseball savant page and they see a high spin rate on that four seamer and they think, okay, this is a guy who's going to be elevating that pitch a lot, right? It's actually a very unique pitch in that the spin efficiency on the four seamer is really, really low, giving it the sort of gyro effect, right? So when you see a four seamer, you think, okay, it's going to be top spinning a lot. As a result, Magnus effect is going to mean the air gets underneath the four seamer and it's going to rise a little bit you would usually see that with a high uh spin uh four seamer tanner scott high spin low efficiency gyro spin which means it's spinning almost like a washing machine they also call it bullet spin and he can have a lot more success locating at the bottom of the zone with the pitch which makes his slider even better so he can just shoot knees all day with that four seamer coming in at 98 miles an hour it makes that slider really really effective for him i just think that's a really fun combination to have in a closer it really would not surprise me if tanner scott got 15 to 20 saves at the end of this year so he, he's the guy that i've been and also like i said no one's paying attention to tanner scott if if you go talk to anyone who's not a Baltimore Orioles fan and say, what do you think about Tanner Scott? They're not like, oh, I could talk about him for 30 minutes. Uh, so, hey, yeah, I, Tanner Scott. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that that's kind of my view when it comes to the, the closer situation, how I feel about Tanner. Cool. Looking across the. Oh, go ahead, Nick. I was going to say it's interesting because I feel like Orioles fans have been waiting for three, four years to see Tanner Scott uh, have the season he did last year. So that's, mm. but that is awesome that the rest of the major league baseball is sleeping on him a little bit, maybe. Mm, definitely. Looking across the board, the whole roster out of the players that aren't prospects, who would you say is a sleeper on the Orioles uh, roster? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's kind of exciting about the Orioles, the way that it kind of happens with the Orioles, in my opinion, in terms of fantasy, is the, the hitters are, I think, actually valued okay. Um, uh, Anthony Santander, Trey Mancini, and uh, Ryan Mountcastle are all top 50 outfielders currently by NFBC ADP. Um, and th and th I think that's about appropriate. Um, I think technically DJ Stewart, if he does get healthy and get the playing time, could be an, a nice kind of steal a little bit there. I think when it comes to sleepers, it's really always going to come down to pitching, right? Guys in fantasy are going to like the hitters because they're hitting in Camden Yards and they're going to fear the pitchers for the exact same reason. So I think a guy like I know we're going to talk about John Means is someone that can be slept on a little bit more. People who I think do a lot of research know that he's a little bit of a sleeper this year, but I think he kind of falls privy to the like, oh, pitcher for the Orioles. He's not going to get any wins. He's not going to be any good. And that's not necessarily the case. I do think still that there is some sleeper potential in uh, in um Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer. We'll get to them, I know, in a little bit. But I would say overall, the people uh, that uh, the fantasy community might not be taking seriously enough is the pitching staff. Good to know. Uh, you mentioned the outfielders there. 
And I want to talk about Santander for a second. Uh, mm. Going into the last season, I kind of viewed him, and I talked about it on this podcast, uh, I like him as a really good like fourth outfielder, switch hitter, a guy that can play all three spots. He can play center field, you know, in a pinch. You don't want him there. But if you need him in an emergency, he's done it before. Uh, doubles, home runs. Uh, but last year we saw, you know, the walks go up, strikeouts were down, weighted on base average was up, you know, top 45, I think, top 50 in the league last year uh, in that category. He only had 150, 160 plate appearances. So, again, small sample size. We haven't seen him across the full season yet. That's been my biggest thing. It's been four years now, and he only has, like, just over, I think, I can't remember how many, like, less than his full season's worth, I think, worth of games. Uh, somewhere close to that, but are you buying on his potential to be an everyday major league outfielder at this point, or do you still want to see more out of him? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I do buy his potential. I think I was really impressed with the defensive strides that he made last year. This was a guy who was one of the worst outfielders in terms of outs above average, uh, and he actually improved on that quite a bit. He's still not necessarily like a guy that I'm like, oh, yeah, he's going to be great, but he's more league average to my mind, and I think that's all you need in, in right field. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I, I definitely, as you said, uh, the walk increase was really impressive and he's shown that again in spring training, which just to me proves, okay, this isn't necessarily a fluke from Anthony Santander. I think realistically, I, I don't really think there's a projection system that his ha, has him hitting under about 250. So if, if we want to be conservative, we can say he's hitting 255 with 25 home runs and about league average uh, defense. I think that's a really, really nice. And that kind of cements him. I think when you look at some of the other outfielders, he's going to win the battle defensively with Ryan Mountcastle because Lord knows he looks a little bit lost out there. Uh, and we need to find a home from him in the infield. Um, Cedric Mullins, probably never going to have the bat, uh, that, uh, um, Anthony Santander is going to have. So I think he kind of is winning out on these little battles. So I do think he's, he's a kind of fun ad to keep track of. Yeah, and I mean, perfect lead into the next question then about Cedric Mullins. You know, he Orioles worked their magic down there in Bowie last year at the alternate site with a couple of guys, DJ Stewart, Cedric Mullins in particular. Would you consider, from a fantasy aspect then, would you consider Cedric Mullins as an extremely cheap option to keep an eye on? He's dropped a switch hitting. You've got to speed his strong spring performance again, that battle with Austin Hayes. Is he worth keeping an eye on or no, stay in the way? Um, so I would say if you're in an AL only league, uh, that's really deep, then I would take maybe a flyer on Cedric Mullins. But that would, even then, he's probably going to hurt your average. He's not going to give you any pop. Uh, so the only way I would consider him is, A, if he starts to perform a little bit better and he wins that center field job and he is the kind of more everyday and not a weak side platoon guy. And B, if you're in a really, really deep league and maybe you need the steals, because I do think he could be a 10 to 15 stolen base kind of guy um so yeah it, it would need to be a pretty deep league uh otherwise you know he's just someone else that i'm like okay fun to keep an eye on over the course of the year as an orioles fan what are your thoughts about cedric mullins and his battle with austin hayes this spring um i was so excited to see austin hayes uh that i was kind of like a little upset to think that um he might be losing out on on those opportunities uh that was a little bit troubling for me to see um with that said like you said, with Rio Ruiz and Michael Franco, a little competition is never going to hurt. It's going to amp these guys up and make them a little bit better. Uh, I remember being just as excited when we first didn't Cedric Mullins like crush it when he first came up, like the very first time he came up. I think he was actually on fire for a little while. Yeah. I think um, so. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. But I think at the end of the day, I would kind of prefer to see Austin Hayes in center. Well, you were right. We were going to bring up John Means a little bit later <laughs> next time. Now. Uh, how high is John Means ceiling as a, a late bloomer? You know, he didn't really catch on at the major league level to like 25 or 26. He was barely even an Orioles prospect before that. But do you think with his increased velocity and the changeup that he had, especially in 2019, that he can be better than a mid-rotation guy? I do. I, I I genuinely do. I mean, what's exciting about John Means isn't necessarily the increased velocity because he actually pulled back a little bit on that at the end of the year. And I think it helped him find his command a little bit more on the four seamer. Um, and then he was able to have a little bit more success overall. I'm just really not paying too much attention to what happened in 2020. I mean, between the injury at the beginning of the year and then the untimely passing of his father, which was so tragic, like it's just a guy who was never really able to like settle in and put a season together. Um, 
when we're talking ceiling, when I'm putting on my, you know, my Orioles hat and my, you know, my Nick Markakis jersey, which I was wearing proudly <laughs> yesterday, um, and I'm getting really excited. This is a guy who has the ability to have a uh, very good velocity on the four seamer with good command of it, a changeup that I think can be a really, really successful out pitch for him so much so that I think he rode that to the all-star game two years ago. And then the curveball is what can be that really good swinging strike rate pitch for him, that action pitch for him. It's about to me finding what that balance is, right? Is he going to be like a 33, 33, 33% kind of guy and just mix in all three of them as much as possible? Is he going to be someone who saves that curveball for two strike counts or is he going to use it to maybe get ahead in early on in the count and throw first pitch strikes with it i think the fact that he has those three weapons is what gets me so excited about him right in that all-star year we didn't really see the curveball it was really just kind of four seam change up but now that he has that kind of third pitch yeah he could be he could be potentially a a, a nice get for us and you know listen there's so many young guys that we're gonna have to worry about their innings over the course of the year and i don't know if you know we need one guy who's going to be a workhorse. And I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, Felix Hernandez or Matt Harvey. So I'm hoping that it's going to be uh, John means a little bit. And one follow-up question. Um, can you explain CSV to our audience and how that relates to John means CSW? That's what it is. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, no, no, no. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. Like, I don't know anything about this one. They told me about um, I was about to talk to you about Excel documents. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, CSW is a metric that was originally thought up by Nick Pollock uh, and then I ideated upon. Um, so, it stands for called strikes plus whiffs. And I know a lot of people might be listening to this who don't play fantasy who are like, are you kidding me? We have another stat right now that I could care less about. Uh, and I want to tell you that it's actually, it, it is important. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that this stat is good for you. Um, CSW is an important stat because I think you guys all know one of the good things about analytics is that it gives you more context to a box score, right? I think we know by now that if I look at a box score and I see that a guy went 0 for 4, um, I, it, I if I'm not looking at anything else, I'm like, oh, he stinks. He had a bad game, right? He went over four. Now, what's great about analytics is maybe I can look at someone's expected batting average and see, okay, Ryan Mountcastle went over four, but he had a 630 expected batting average on the day. And what that leads me to believe is he's hitting the ball hard. He's making good contact. It just went right to an outfielder. That's it is what it is. That's baseball. CSW is kind of the same way. League average is about 30. Uh, and what 30%, I should say. And what we're doing is we're taking called strikes plus whiffs. So called strikes plus swinging start strikes. We're dividing it by total pitches and we're turning it into a percentage. Like I said, 30% about league average. And the way that I use it is if I see that a guy has an above league average CSW in a start, but he got hit really hard in that start, it leads me to believe that maybe he just had one or two pitches that left the yard. Right. And if you start to see, I think it takes about five to seven starts for it to quote unquote stabilize. But if you see, okay, maybe he's getting hit a little bit hard, but he's having back to back to back starts where he's really got a good CSW. What, what, uh, what we've seen is that's, what's going to win out. The batted balls are going to come and go. There's, there's a lot of noise and a lot of variance there, but if he's got a really good CSW that says, okay, better days might be ahead for him. So what I like to do is keep track of it over the course of a season, let it provide more context about a start. And it just helps us become, you know, smart, more accountable fans. And I think smarter, more accountable fans put more pressure on a front office. Uh, and then, you know, we all win. You know, I only see it on Twitter and I guess I just read it as CSV. So. <laughs> no, dude, I every time I type it on Twitter, I have to make sure I don't put CWS, which is Chicago White Sox. And it's my, right, right, right. It's my daily struggle. <laughs> I will say looking at, I know you talked about looking at box scores, but looking at the box score right now, just we're talking about John Means, he's through four against the Braves right now. Oh. Uh, no walks and four strikeouts. So, Oh, do, do, they, do, they have, do they have his velocity up there? No, it's it's just uh, they're at the Orioles. They're in Sarasota, so there's nothing. There's no oh, yeah. There's no <laughs> it kills me. Yeah. It kills me. Good. Hopefully, we can get a beat writer to tell us. But that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get a beat writer report. We'll get uh, surveillance footage on Instagram tomorrow, one or the other. <laughs> um, looking ahead, I saw now. that of uh, Matt Harvey yesterday. Did you see that? No, they out. have. Oh gosh, through uh, Lockdown Orioles actually tweeted out. Uh, it was a clip of Harvey's fastball with a slider combination he was 96 with some really good movement so very maybe he's not toast after all maybe very interesting. Is, 
So turning our attention to prospects now, uh, where do you stand on Ryan Mountcastle as a fantasy player this year? Where would you put his stock? Yeah, I mean, I think he's actually either it's either no, I think he is going the highest out of all the Orioles outfielders, and for good reason, right? He's another guy who's really, really exciting. A lot of good pop in the bat. I don't think he's going to be an average liability. If I'm being a little more pessimistic about him, it's our like we brought up. The only thing that's going to lose some playing time is that defense, right? I understand it's sunny out there in the outfield down in Sarasota, uh, but I've just seen him misplay a lot of balls, uh, and I'm really worried that. Um, maybe Chris Davis takes away some of his at-bats at first, or maybe Michael Franco takes away some of his at-bats or something. I hope that doesn't happen. That's my one concern with him. I think offensively, he's a, you know, he's got more than 20 home runs in that bat. And like I said, he's not an average liability, but yeah, I, that's the one like thing that I'm worried about. I, I personally think he's fine at first base. I saw him at first base in the Arizona fall league. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is serviceable. This is totally fine. But Listen, I mean, there are some things we need to take away from spring training. They clearly want to try and make that outfield work for him, right? They clearly want him to be sort of a left fielder. Uh, and maybe they'll continue to do so, but all it takes is a few botched plays and hopefully he'll be at first. Uh, but yeah, in, in terms of just offense, I think he's a nice bat. I'm glad you made that comment about his defense, though, just because I said the same thing. I, I watch a lot of Norfolk Tides baseball, being from the Norfolk area. Uh, and yeah, at the beginning of the year, you saw him like going through the motions in his head as as plays are developing and going on. And then by the end of the year, though, right before they moved into the outfield, he really seemed to get it. And it mm-hmm. was fun. I think he was serviceable as well. I don't know why the Orioles keep moving him around, but hopefully he's full-time first baseman in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I, go ahead, please, please. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting because he'll make the occasional nice little play. Like he kind of robbed a home run earlier in spring training. He had that nice run and play last year in the outfield, but then he'll drop a lazy fly ball. So it's weird. Yeah, it is weird. I always wonder too, if those nice plays are like, would have just been routine for any other outfielder. <laughs> and because, and because it's him, it's like, uh, yeah. And I, I don't know, like, there are certain things that happen behind closed doors that we're never going to know about. I don't know what the incentive is from the front office to play Chris Davis. I don't know if they, know, if they think like, okay, everyone knows that it's not the best contract. We don't really have to force it and play him. Uh, and I don't think any Orioles fan would really mind that. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm curious to see how that's going to uh, unfold over the course of the year. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. The two pitchers that came up last year and really had a big impact in the starting rotation, uh, Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken, both are prospect eligible coming into this year. Uh, both look like they're ticketed for rotation spots right now. Would you take a flyer on them late in a draft, or would you kind of see how they start off the year and see if you can pick them up on a waiver wire? It's a great question. It's something I've actually been struggling with a lot. I just released my top 100 a couple weeks ago. I'm about to release my revamped top 100 on Friday, and you know it's tough for me because I got to take off my Orioles hat. Okay, what what are they what are they actually looking like? You know, are they going to be serviceable? And I do believe that they both have a lot of upside. When it comes to guys like that, there's a great point that Nick, the CEO of Pitcherless, makes, which is, well, what's the beginning? What's their schedule to begin the year, right? For these guys that have high upside, they can also get burned real bad. So the reason that I'm leaving them on the waiver wire to start the year is because both of them are getting the Red Sox and the Yankees first. You know what I mean? And those are not two teams that you can really figure it out against. Um, I don't want people to figure things out against Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts. Um, With that said, that means that whoever did draft them could theoretically drop them after that first week. And that's when I'm a little bit more interested in, in picking them up. Dean Kramer, I really want to see what that cutter looks like and if that can be a solid improvement for him. Um, I love the fastball curveball pairing. Keegan Aiken's got a really sneaky good four-seamer. It doesn't really have that velocity that you want, but it, it's got really high what they call Bauer units, which is even though it's got low velocity, it's got a lot of efficiency for the velocity that it has. And I think that's why he can have... I mean, he had like a 15% swinging strike rate on that four-seamer last year. And the fact that he's throwing it at 92, you just don't see that nowadays, right? You'd see high high swing strike rates on high velocity so i think there's some really fun promise there but yeah that that beginning schedule has me a little bit scared and looking elsewhere for some more upside plays to start the year 
my thing with Kramer is I loved what I saw and, you know, going up against the Yankees, he went up against the Yankees back to back in his first, his first two starts. Right. Was that, mm. I think that was Kramer. Yeah. Um, yep. He just doesn't throw first pitch strikes like at all. It seems like, so I'm, I'm anxious to see if he can start getting ahead of batters. We see just how lethal he can be. And mm. I'm excited to see what he does this year as well. And sticking to the starting pitching uh, topic, what do you, uh, Sorry, who do you project to be a solid rotation candidate out of the next crop of starting pitching prospects along the lines of Michael Bauman, Zach Lothar, Alexander Wells, Kevin Smith, Bruce Zimmerman, so on, so forth? Yeah, um, I mean, it's such a good question. I, I think it's like, it's difficult not to get really excited about Grayson Rodriguez. Like Grayson Rodriguez could could genuinely be um, one of our best pitching prospects. Uh, I, I everything that I read about him gets me really excited. We've got a great um, uh, uh, prospects reporter at Pitcherless by the name of Trevor Huth, who thinks that he's like a top ten pitching prospect in in all of uh, baseball, which is really really exciting. That changeup that he started reincorporating into his arsenal, I think, is is really really exciting for him. Um, DL Hall is obviously someone who we're, we're really excited about and that great velocity. I, I still don't know what their plans are for him. You know, whether he's ever really going to be able to have the command to be a guy who's going to last over the entire course of a game. But even if they don't, that could, you know, in the year 2024, like that could be our ace uh, closer. That could be our guy who's closing every single game for us. And he's just lights out for us. And I really hope I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's en- what ends up happening with him. So yeah, those are the two guys that I think I'm most excited about when it comes to the pitching staff. Um, there are other guys who are a little bit closer, you know, Lothar and Bauman. I think I'm excited about Zimmerman. I'm a little excited about as well, but like when I'm really like, you know, visualizing like, okay, we're winning the world series in 2028. Like those are, you know, those are the guys that I think are helping us get there. Yeah. That's the hope, right? Mm. Uh, what Orioles prospects are you targeting in dynasty leagues? Anybody thinks being undervalued or overvalued? Um, yeah, I think um, Heston Kirstead is is a really good uh, hitter to, to, I mean, aside from the pitchers, like if, if it's the pitching, Grayson Rodriguez is a guy that I'm trying to get in as many dynasty leagues as possible. For the hitters, Heston Kirstead, I think is really, uh, is really interesting. Uh, and then same with Gunnar Henderson. I mean, I think those are two guys who could, you know, uh, I don't know defensively um, what's going to be there. Uh, you know, I think it's important to realize that like, this is the front office that helped to draft Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa. You know what I mean? And while I think we can get frustrated as Orioles fans, you know, at least I know I did on draft day when it was like, what are we doing? Like, why? I understand we want to sign these guys below cap, but like, what, what's going on? Um, you have to respect that, you know, these guys for the first time, it's an analytically driven front office, Sigmeidel and, and, and Mike Elias know what they're doing. So I, I'm excited about those guys. And I'm going to go ahead and just put my faith in them and say, you know, one of these guys is going to be a, a better than average everyday major leaguer. So if he is promoted to the major leagues this year, which is what everybody's expecting, if he is healthy, what kind of value, if any, do you think that fantasy players could expect from you, Neil Diaz? Mm. Um, I, I hate to be negative, but I, I don't think much. It has me a little bit concerned that this wasn't even a guy that got a look last year at a shortened season. You know what I mean? It, it just seems like either they have a bunch of things that they still want to change about him, or he just isn't a, a prospect that they necessarily see um, being an integral part of their plans. Like It just really does speak a lot to me that this wasn't a guy we saw once last year. Um, so I think for me, unless you're in a dynasty where you can get him a little bit later, if you're in a regular 12 teamer, he's fine on the wire. Um, he's a guy that like every once in a while, if you're in a, in a 12 teamer, even a, a, actually in all leagues, go to MILB.com. You know what I mean? Sort by OBP, sort by home runs, sort by average, more so OBP and home runs, I think. See who's there. See who's on fire. Keep track of those situations and be ahead of the waiver wire on that. You know what I mean? If you've got that spot, especially if you realize that, you know, a team is thin or a guy is, uh, you know, maybe sadly just got hurt. Go to MILB. Keep track of that. And it'll be the same thing that I'm doing for using the LDS. What's going on at the minor leagues? How is he operating? And then go from there. Let me ask you this. If the OBP is good um, around, let's say, mid-June, beginning in July, the OBP is good, but the power numbers aren't great, would that give you pause? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I just think because in a fantasy league at that point, what is that going to fill for you? You know what I mean? If you're, re- if you're, you know, if your team is filled with Joey Gallows and Miguel Sano's, you know, you know, maybe that that's okay. But uh, yeah, it, it seems like you want him operating on more levels than one than just one category from a fantasy perspective, I should say. Yeah, starting to get weird. worried now. Yeah. <laughs> it was on last week and he was pretty low on him. So I'm uh, yeah. wrong, you know, I shouldn't have. Oh wait, you said it was Eric Loggenhagen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I would take whatever I say too. Like with it, you know, he he's the he's the genius. But I'm glad I agree with him. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, it's it might be good to know, and that's that's good. But when the both of you are down on Yusuf Diaz, it kind of hurts a little bit. Yeah, I mean, trust yeah. me. I, I I you know, this is who we got Manny for. Like, come on, like yeah, one of these guys has to you know just so I don't go insane. Uh, yeah, so I'm yeah. with you on that. Yeah, but do you? I mean, going off that. Could you see if Yusino Diaz doesn't end up panning out and he gets passed over by Kerstad and some of the other outfielders coming up in the system as an Orioles fan, putting your Orioles hat fan hat back on. Um, do you think there's enough there for Dean Kramer to maybe for Orioles fans to go back and look at that Manny Machado trade and say, okay, it, it was a fine deal or totally. no, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. It, it, listen, even if Dean Kramer turns into a serviceable four or five, Manny wasn't staying. We weren't paying Manny, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if if we can get that out of Dean Kramer and he's even if he's a, you know, an innings eater who's going to let some of the other guys rest and let them develop. I mean, maybe it's the eternal optimist in me, like, you know, we're all Orioles fans. I keep talking about, but then I'm totally I'm totally fine with that. I think that's fine. Let's hope it works out. Yes. Um, yes. Going back to also, I just saw a tweet here from Rock. We're like, we're going live with it. Tanner Scott hit 100 miles per hour on the stadium. Let's go. <laughs> wow. Let's go. There, there we go. Let's um, go. <laughs> um, but talking about, uh, I want to talk about Bruce Zimmerman for a few minutes. We touched on him earlier, but you know, we saw him kind of show out a little bit last spring training. Only got a small taste last regular season, kind of up and down at the alternate site. So, like you mentioned, kind of throwing away 2020. Uh, but he's back now dominating spring training. I think uh, he got a lot of Orioles fans excited the other day when we were finally able to watch some Orioles spring training baseball. Uh, this, he put his slider on display. It was looking really good. Uh, just how good is that slider from Bruce Zimmerman, comparatively speaking, to maybe some other pitchers around the league? And can his fastball be effective enough for him to hold on to a rotation spot uh, for a couple of years down the road at the major league level? Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, like, how badly do you want to see a local guy succeed? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I think he's Ellicott City, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, that's like right next to where I grew up. I grew up in Columbia and Clarksville. So like, I, I, that's where, like, I just want that so bad. <laughs> like, that's just yeah. so awesome to me. Um, I think the last time I saw his slider in spring training last year, I was like, okay, this could be a really, really good pitch for him. And when I see the increased velocity from him this year, I think he's up to 94, right? Isn't he sitting 94 right now as opposed to 92 mm-hmm. like he was last year? I think yeah. that's really, really exciting as well. And why I get excited about that personally is the, the changeup I don't think is great. I don't think it's a fantastic pitch movement wise, but I think every separation that he can get between that fastball and that changeup is going to be beneficial for him. So that increased velocity is really not just going to benefit the four seamer. It's also going to benefit that changeup. Maybe it turns it into even more of an out pitch. So I think everything really does hinge then upon that slider and how consistently he can command that pitch, right? I think he needs it. You know, he needs to be able to show that he can throw it for strikes, but I think overall it's going to be his action pitch, his swing and miss pitch. I'm not really sure about the curveball. I don't think it's a fantastic pitch. I don't think it's a pitch that has enough separation with the slider. I think it's just kind of a velo difference and not much more. But I think if he can show good consistency with that slider, maintain this increased fastball velocity, then he's a good three-pitch pitcher who, at, as it stands right now, is a good solid four or five. Um, I would need to see improvements in maybe maybe like a fourth pitch or maybe improvements with a changeup if I were to think there was going to be another gear. But uh, I think as it stands now, yeah, he can be a really solid back-end rotation. I think they already said, too, they want to get him bulk innings, right? They want to mm-hmm. get him. So I think from a fantasy perspective, he's a guy where, hey, you know, we're playing uh, we're playing a, a, a poor offense right now. Maybe we're going to, to Kansas City. We're going to Detroit, and Bruce Zimmerman's getting a start. Yeah, I'm all about that. 
So we're going to go into an Orioles-focused uh, lightning round with some uh, questions here. And I'll start it off, and although I think, Nick, you actually want to take this question, right? Because you want to tell us the favorite Oriole that you uh, like to watch? Yeah, just kind of who is your, like, your guilty pleasure Oriole to watch? Like for me, it's Sean Armstrong, and I can't tell you why. Mm. I just love watching Sean Armstrong pitch. I think he was kind of that nobody that everybody's just like, oh, he's there, he's a reliever. I have a fat, a weird fascination with relievers because you got to have something that sticks out. You know, you got to have like an Adam Simber weird footwork there. You got to have the Tanner mm. Scott triple digits wipeout slider, uh, and they could be on top of the world one day and just gone the next. Uh, so Sean Armstrong, you know, is just that guy for me. Do you have a, a guilty pleasure Oriole that you just love to watch? Yeah, definitely. I think it's Cesar Valdez. Like, it, what? It's just like a great story, and it's also like he's got one job and he does it well. You know what I mean? He's just that one weird dude. He's also like the guy that like, you know, we're all going to be sitting at a bar in 25 years and being like, Oh, how about him? You remember him? Like, yeah, yeah. That great changeup. That was so crazy. That's all he had, but you know, he threw nothing, but so I, I'm a sucker for dudes like that. Like, the 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 stars you can like take or leave you know we're always going to talk about them whatever but like the dudes who are the weird relievers who pitched for like four years and were above league average that's where my heart's at it's funny am i the only one that whenever cesar Vettas comes in i'm excited but i'm also like okay this is going to be where the magic ends isn't it like i'm just waiting for it <laughs> yeah. to stop but it, it yeah. just keeps yeah. working keeps working so far yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> the old front office would hold on to those guys until the magic ended. Uh, I remember the Jim Johnson days being like, oh, why is this still happening? Now I'm curious if he gets traded to the Rockies for another top 30 prospect at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, it could happen. It I could. Just, just say. Yeah. He's done it before. Um, right, your favorite... is... Oh, go oh, ahead, go Bob. Ahead, I was just um, going to say, I'll pick up the next one. Yeah, uh, I guess we'll just go in order. Sorry, we didn't exactly find this up perfectly. But what is your favorite pitch in the Orioles system? But you cannot say John Means or Cesar Valdez's changeups. Oh wow, what a great question! Um, that's a great question. I'll go with maybe I'll give two. Tanner, I'll say Tanner Scott's fastball because I think it's a unicorn. Like we, like we talked about, it's like all the things that you would think make it great aren't what make it great. It's actually the other things that make it really great. Um, and then I will say, yeah, okay. I'll say Keegan Aiken's fastball as well. It fits into the narrative of like things that you don't think would be fantastic pitches uh, by their like raw numbers. And then when you look a little bit deeper, you're like, wow, there's something actually kind of fun and funky and interesting there. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Um, over and oh, sorry, Zach. Over under seventy wins for the Orioles. Oh, over, over. Come on, how dare they give us a zero (laughs) percent chance of making the playoffs? Uh, Over. (laughs) It's seventy-one. I'll say seventy-one. I was going to say seventy-two. Oh no! All right, the real (laughs) optimist here. You know. If you have to pick. You got to give a, a bold prediction. It could be a, a statistic, a player breakout, a trade, just some Orioles focused bold prediction for 2021. What what do you got for us? Mm. Last year it was Austin Hayes wins rookie of the year. I was very excited to to be wrong, but hopeful about that one. Um, this year I'll say John Means finishes with a 3.1 ERA. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be nice. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, let's. Uh, we talked about DL Hall a little bit. But final answer, put your foot down. Is his future as a starter or a reliever? Reliever. Uh, but dominant. Yeah. Dominant reliever. I was going to say, again, another – you agree with Eric Longenhagen there. He, I, know in yep. his, I don't think we talked about him on the show last week. But, yeah, I know a couple Orioles fans I know saw were a little bit confused and questioning why Why are these guys saying that D.L. Hall is a future reliever? Uh, mm. And, you know, hey, I mean, if you could throw 100 miles an hour from the left side – that's why I guess. Totally. I, I am. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Um, favorite non Orioles pitcher to watch. Oh God, man. Um, the first one that comes to mind, cause I could probably, I would bore you guys to death with how many answers um, is Kenta Maeda. I just think the dude's like a capital P pitcher. I think his changeup is absolutely fantastic. I love watching him work. I'm happy we can get the chance to watch him work now that he's not with the Dodgers, so we can see him every fifth day. He's just a guy that I think is constantly underrated who's just so, so dang good. 
How many World Series are the Padres going to win over the next five years? Oh, great, 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 great. Uh, I'll say I can. I'll say they'll get one. I'll say they'll get one. They seem really, really, really committed to winning, and I and I dig that. So I'll give them one. Yeah. And I'll, I, I'll end. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say I I've. I spent a year writing about the Padres and I didn't really know much about them going into it. And now I stay awake until like 1 a.m. almost every night watching San Diego Padres baseball. It's it's fun, man. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. they are a fun team. I hope yeah. that is the future of the Orioles. Oh, God, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be great. I was going to throw one more in here. Um, putting your Orioles fan hat back on. What do you think about this Mike Elias front office and what he's done with the organization? And what's your confidence level moving forward with him? Yeah, I, I say it all the time, you know, like it, 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 and Elias, we trust, you know, like I, I'm just, I have to, I have to put my faith in him, right? The track record's there. There definitely have been times where I'm like, what What do you mean we're trading Jonathan VR? Like, what do you mean Hans Alberto's not getting re-signed? He's a contact machine. Like what, like there have been a few of those, you know, what do you mean we're not taking these guys in the draft? But, you know, I have to remember like, the Astros were terrible for a, for a while. You know what I mean? They were an awful, awful team. And then they turned into, you know, you can put the whatever happened aside, like they, they turned into a very, very good team, right? Uh, and obviously, you can put a bunch of asterisks on that if you'd like, but I feel like that front office knows what it's doing. And while we will not see it this year and we may not see it next year, we will we, we've already started to see what it could look like. Even the international, uh, the fact that we're on the international market, right? That's a sign of progress, right? That that to me is a, is a, a step in the in the right direction. The fact that that organization is talking about analytics is a step in the right direction because Eric, I heard Eric Longenhagen say it himself. You know, when he was writing uh, his book about front offices a couple of years ago, the Orioles were on. You know, they were with the Rockies as one of those teams where it was like, nah, just a lost cause. They just really don't take it seriously, and that's not the case anymore. So even that alone will get me optimistic about moving forward. Great to hear. Mm. He's got a plan at least. Mm. Yeah. And I think we're all thankful for that to seeing this analytical bend that has taken over the organization and seeing the farm system really move in a positive direction. Um, Alex, can you give our listeners, uh, tell them where they can follow you on Twitter and some of the content you'll be tweeting out? Because you have a very informative Twitter feed, a lot of oh. good uh, content there. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at AlexFast8. I'm trying to tweet out as much baseball knowledge as possible. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always on there and I'm always active. And the one thing I tell people, especially if they're new to Sabermetrics, is like, ask any question. Like, my, my, my goal is to spread as much knowledge about the sport as possible because I love it. I could talk about it all day, every day. There is no such thing as a dumb question. Come talk about sports with me. I've got my new updated Top 100 coming out on Friday. Uh, really excited about that. For you Orioles fans, there will be some Orioles on there. So, yeah, come chat with me on Twitter, and and thanks for having me, guys. It's been great. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Um, So you've been listening to uh, On the Verge. You can follow us on Twitter, at BSL On the Verge. Be sure to visit BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com to check out the latest uh, coverage on the Orioles and Ravens, and a lot of really good March Madness coverage has been on the site this week. So also be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion. Uh, thank you to Alex Fast for joining us as our guest tonight. And for Bob Phil and Nick Stevens, this has been Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.